Welcome to Relatable with Ash, where we talk about all things mindset, wellness, relationships, and empowerment. I just tried recording an intro for this episode and it felt so fake, like so showy. I was like, I cannot, I cannot do that. I just, I just have to start the intro talking about that because that feels ick and I'm trying to move away from the icky stuff and just be genuine and real because that's what I look up to that's what I respect and I want to be real with you guys my podcast is called relatable um so yeah before you jump into this episode I want you to go in listening to it with the mindset of how can I apply this to my current circumstances because we did this podcast and I took it on so many deep levels. Like when when I talk to you about, you'll understand when you listen to it, when we talk about our experiences on the snow, I took meaning from it in, this, in the moment, but now having come home and lived my life a little bit and done a bit of work, I'm actually still applying those life lessons from that trip to my current situation. So go in with that mindset as you listen and I hope you enjoy it. And we're back. We're back with Chaz. Hello. How are we? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Oh. <laughs> oh I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the people. <laughs> Um, so we just came back from Melbourne. We were on a snow trip and that's why I've been a lot quieter on social media as well, because I really wanted to actually rest, actually take a holiday and enjoy myself. I guess the last few holidays, even though they have technically been holidays, I've still worked through them or I've, the insights that I've had, I will immediately transform them into a social media post instead of just like taking in each moment as it is so I really wanted to rest and enjoy our holiday which I did and we I weirdly took a lot of meaningful lessons from our time at the snow so one of them was the which I'm sure I've I'm deaf I've definitely said in front of you many times is Chaz keeps shaking his head at me because I keep, like, rubbing my leg. It's just going to come through on the audio. So if you're going to constantly rub your leg. Oh. It's ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> and there you lost everyone. <laughs> They're extremely pissed now. I do hate ASMR. Yeah. But one of the lessons that I had came from Chaz trying to teach me snowboarding. So this is the second time I've snowboarded. And you'd think I would have, you know, been able to pick it up quicker. But I wasn't mm. really. So... I was falling a lot and it's the snow in Australia isn't always as soft as it is in other places and especially places where people have skied or boarded a lot over it becomes a bit icy and so I was just falling on ice practically. Yeah it doesn't get cold enough to keep the snow super super dry and so like you'll get snowfall happen but then overnight it'll kind of just freeze slash melt and freeze over. And so the top sheet of snow, it ends up just being essentially ice rather than 
snow until everyone's gone over it for a fair few hours, which sucks if you're a beginner. Like mm. it sucks super bad. Definitely not a great place to start. Mm. Especially on a snowboard because you are going to fall. Yeah. In in my mind, like being on skis, at least you're standing upright and facing forward. On a snowboard, you're constantly facing you're like parallel to the the slope. So when you're not confident you are. When you're not confident you are. And I did go into this with a big ego. I was like, I've done this before. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the case. And I just I just it hurt so much comparatively to falling in Japan mm-hmm. that when I got down the slope, I just I didn't want to I didn't want to go up. I had a big cry. I also there was other emotional stuff going on, but on top of that, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore <laughs> internally. <laughs> yeah, day one was pretty rough. And then, and, and someone else on the trip also went through that. So I yeah, you was, swapped. I was glad that I wasn't alone and somebody understood what I was feeling, <laughs> <laughs> even though it felt silly. It was it was a fun test for both myself and my my good mate. Um, Darcy, who I guess we were taking turns with our partners struggling with overcoming the fear of falling Mm. and like being in that beginning phase. And yeah, so you kind of had your mental breakdown at the first start of the day and then his wife had a mental breakdown in the back half of the first day as Mm -hmm. well and you just took turns. But it was also like the fact that we kind of overcame your fear a little bit at the midday and we put like... Uh, we had a drink together and then I bought you another shot on top of that and was kind of like, all right, that'll loosen you up, it get some confidence. It definitely chilled me out. Yeah, and so after that you had a, a bit of a better day after having a little bit of alcohol into you. Mm-hmm. Not the best way to solve your problems, but... No, um, it not did, advocating alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> but it did help. Um, and at the end of the day we kind of recommended that to um, Darcy's partner as well and she did the same thing and she had a bit better of an experience after that as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it's interesting facing that kind of fear where it's literally gripping you from achieving what you actually want to do. And like we, we pointed this out heaps of times over the trip, but it's actually so much harder to snowboard slowly than it is to snowboard at like a good pace down the hill. Like once you're kind of cutting into the mountain and doing those sweeping um, motions from toe to heel and heel to toe, you're pushing a lot more snow and the momentum and inertia kind of carries you into each side of the board. Whereas when you're moving quite slowly and you kind of rotate slowly between each heel and toe, um, you leave yourself more room to kind of have the opposite side accidentally dig in and then that kind of just throws you. And yeah, so you end up hitting the ground a lot. The helmet was a bit of an issue we worked out oh, for you as well. bloody hell. Yeah, the helmet was so heavy that when I would fall backwards, which, like, you fall butt first most of the time, well, that's how you're supposed to fall off a snowboard is lean your butt back, my head would just I'd be constantly getting whiplash because the helmet was so heavy. And by the end of the first day, my, my neck, my butt, everything was so sore. And you, I think what actually helped turn it around too was you turned to me when I was having a moment on this, look, sitting down on the snow and you said, you have to accept that you're going to fall. And I was like, part of me was like, I don't want to accept that. And then the other part of me was like, he's totally right. And I saw it in the bigger life picture as well. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, 
the next day I still had a, maybe it was the third day I still had a bit of an emotional moment, but just from falling and hurting myself. But after we watched Anastasia that yeah. first night, there's a song. If you don't remember the the cartoon movie, it's not Disney, but um, it's about Princess Anastasia, the whole like Russian revolution and things like that. There's a song on there that I missed out on watching because I was tired and went to bed. But it's my <laughs> favourite song in the movie and it goes, if I can learn to do it. You can learn to do it. And like it was just playing over and over in my head that morning. And which actually weirdly helped me out getting back on the snow. Yeah. Because I was like, if that in in my head, I was like, if that kid can learn to do it, I can do it. If she can learn to do it, I can do it. Yeah. Like, and I guess it's a good philosophy for life as well. Yeah, 100%. So I took, I used a lot of metaphors and took a lot of meaning in order to motivate myself to get back on the snow. Yeah. Like from my perspective, it like I, I it was hard to watch at first. And then I kind of just was like, no, I'm I've got it. I also went through the moment of acceptance as well. I was like, no, I've gotta have to like kind of get into teacher mode, even though I'm on holiday and like teach Ashley how to actually break through this. And we, I took her down to the bottom of the mountain. Um, pretty much on a flat section of snow with a very, very slight hill that I had to manually push Ashley up. Um, and then I took off my board and I was literally running around pushing Ashley on a snowboard trying to teach her how to like turn and stop and come to a stop on both sides, whether it's heel or toe. And then even um, the first or maybe it was the second day when we were doing that, it was all about how to break and um, come off the ski lift because that was like the hardest challenge for Ashley. I could see that was that was the biggest anxiety for her was well, getting on the ski lift was, was kind of tough as well, but we conquered that quite uh, um, quickly. It was mm-hmm. kind of just like getting through the gates was quite difficult for you. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, you just got to pull yourself through the gates and let momentum do the work. You don't have to like kind of hobble run that you do on a snowboard, which is like a really awkward skateboarder kick, but mm-hmm. sideways. And so once we got over the getting on the ski lift, getting off the ski lift was then our goal. Like we got to get off the ski lift without absolutely eating shit every time and mm-hmm. like I, we we all spent the first day including myself who's I'm pretty confident on a board but I was eating crap all the time as well coming off that that ski lift because when you're with other people that aren't experienced everything goes everywhere mm. and there's no real good path for you to yeah. exit because people bump you or whatever it is and then all of a sudden you're just like you've only got one foot connected into the snowboard and you're going all over the place mm. but spending that like probably a good 30 to 40 40 minutes down on the flat with one foot unclipped and me just pushing you around and then you like learning to just like kind of stay straight for as long as possible and then come to a nice easy break Mm. um removed a lot of anxiety about just getting up the mountain and that was like I think the biggest thing that got you to keep going was the fact that we could get you up the mountain without you falling Falling. from the get-go yeah like you didn't even I it seemed like you didn't even want to even go past that point if we couldn't solve that yeah um and so I was really glad we did and you know I got like I started to enjoy helping you at that point because I could see that 
it was helping. Mm. Whereas before, I, like even though we may have been learning how to tackle the slope a lot, it seemed like your anxiety was just increasing anyway. Mm. And so I was, I was personally feeling like more and more frustrated because I was like, oh, well, this is just a drag for me because like we're improving in some areas, but we're going backwards in your ability to push through and your resilience to push through this. Um, and then we overcame it, we broke through. And then I was eventually on day three, got to the point where I could leave you by yourself and I was just out conquering crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because I could feel that too. Like I, I could feel that you were frustrated but not wanting to be frustrated at me. Like you wanted to be gentle with me because you knew I wasn't going to respond to the frustration. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you knew that. But also th- that part of my anxiety was I didn't want to let you down and I didn't want to prevent you from enjoying your holiday. And so, But that only made my anxiety worse because mm. I was like – I was putting so much pressure on myself to do well that I wasn't, I was just completely forgetting everything we were learning yeah. and I would just fall on my ass time and time again. And yeah. so it was really helpful seeing you be so compassionate and willing to teach, even though I was like, you know, go back on the slope and you're like, no, 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 I'm going to teach you that like seeing that allowed me to like, um, stop putting so much pressure on myself and that's where I was able to flow, Yeah, which is interesting. And breaking it down into little sections and little goals for myself was so, so helpful in tackling what felt like the biggest, hardest goal of my life, even though it wasn't. But in that moment, it was like that ski lift was like my biggest challenge. And I, I made the ski lift and mastering heel side on one day my two goals and so breaking down this big goal into like smaller little goals and then actually celebrating when those little goals were achieved Mm. made it so much more fulfilling and and a much more enjoyable experience yeah would you go snowboarding again yes yeah that's good yeah because like even though like i enjoyed it there is a part of me because I was breaking it down into little goals. There's a part of me that is disappointed that I didn't nail toe side. Yeah. And so my next goals will be when I hit the slopes again, will be nailing toe side, feeling confident, getting to toe side mm. and um, finding flow. That's that, that my next two goals. And then once I've reached those goals, I'm like fully able to, enjoy snowboarding to the fullest yeah and we'll get my skills up yeah toe side once you unlock toe side you'll be crushing it mm-hmm. um it's interesting like uh, you've got to have relatively strong calf muscles to endure toe side for a while as well yeah that's um, true. i'm not sure if that like will make a bit of a difference for you like i'm just hypothesizing but like me playing a lot of sport and then like bryce who tried snowboarding for the very first time ever but by third day could do both sites very well and keep up with me down the mountain well sort of like he could be i would stop at each checkpoint and wait but like he he could confidently come through the full mountain with me um was really impressive to see um but he plays a lot of basketball too so i was thinking well maybe he's got like pretty well developed legs in in both front and or anterior posterior side i need water i felt like it was a lot of even watching other people it was definitely a mindset thing that 
would either allow you to succeed or allow you to crumble. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, and you see it in the boys, uh, like the boys push through the, the fear of falling so much better than the girls. But can I, can I pose a question there? Yeah. Is that because the fear is different or is that because we've, you know, in society, men have been trained and conditioned to hide their emotions. And so because of that, they've just learning to deal with it. They don't want to show their fear. And that's what makes men more like gung-ho. Uh, no, I disagree. I think it's more the fact that as young men growing up, we're allowed to take a lot more risks in the um, activities we'll probably pursue. And so we've already engaged in higher risk activities that might lead to more injuries. And we've mm-hmm. probably fallen a lot more in our youth than like females have. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time, and I'm generalizing, but a lot of the time, like girls aren't allowed to play the way boys do and Mm. boys tend to hurt each other a lot and then also hurt themselves a lot and so we're quite used to like enduring pain because we've we've fallen so much already um so it's not that scary we we've we've gotten up from a lot of injuries before i think i was also had the thought that it helps being um like stronger in your upper body as well because you can kind of catch yourself in falls a bit better. Mm. Um, But I think it's also you're doing it wrong if you're trying to catch yourself constantly when you fall. And you like the what I noticed with the girls and I kind of was like my sports um, science brain was kind of ticking when I'm watching um, the girls go down the hill and in particular Darcy's partner was how rigid she seemed and how much it likened to like an old person struggling to walk and how they like they're always focusing on what's immediately in front of their feet and not up ahead of them mm. due to lack of confidence and fear of falling mm. and if you operate like that um, you miss everything around you number one but number two you never get out of that comfort zone and you you kind of like you're you're trying to avoid falling so much that you're missing all of the technique mm. right like if you watch an old person walk that's not how we walk that's mm. that's they're doing it for a reason mm. but if if you were to watch like a young person walk, the technique and the energy con- uh, con- conservation, they get out of walking the way we do actually walk upright, um, not looking at our feet with big long strides and confidence about it. Um, it's two completely different things. Mm. And so that, that, that fear of falling and hurting yourself is actually debilitating in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, it's kind of like just accepting that falling is going to be inevitable. inevitable. Um, but when you watch the boys fall, because they've fallen a lot in the past, like um, Darcy did this really, really well. And like I did it um, reasonably well. I think Darcy does it a lot better than I did, but I think he's he's probably fallen over doing crazy stunts in his youth more than I have. But we probably were contributing to that together. Um, but even Bryce did that really well was when you stack it, you kind of roll with it. Whereas when I watched you stack it a lot, you kind of just hit the ground super hard. You didn't really, like, you were falling in ways that just all of a sudden your momentum would just stop Stop. by meeting the earth rather than, like, when the boys were stopping, 
um, they would kind of like be trying to do the technique. And because you're trying to do whatever the technique is, you, you've, you might be leaning into like, let's say toe side, carving across the mountain, you've gotten your knees bent, your, your lower center of gravity. So when you do slip out, you're already closer to the ground, you don't fall as hard. And then you kind of just like keep going with the momentum of the fall and just roll or tumble or whatever it is. Um, and so that like tumbling or going with the fall and instead of just trying to like stick your hands out or brace your fall really hard and someone who's nervous tends to be very rigid and so when they fall they stiffen up and they hit the ground hard whereas when you're not so nervous you tend to just go with the fall and it's kind of like the whole the drunk person in a crash scenario like the drunk person who crashes a car um, provided they got their seatbelt on, tends to not hurt themselves as much. Whereas like the person who's sober hurts themselves they more. See it coming. They see it coming, but they're also, they're just not relaxed. Yeah. And so like, being really limp distributes the force evenly. Right. Um, and <laughs> I saw Darcy have some absolutely insane stacks. Like well, a couple of them were running into me. And the beauty about skis is they've got like this, I think it's like a, a retention clip on the base um, where you stick your feet in and when you hit something or you experience a certain amount of g-force in a certain direction they pop off and when they pop off it allows you to not um, like be ejected from the skis and not have your skis get caught up in things so your legs don't just get twisted and mangled and you tear mm-hmm. apart your knees so that was you, you get ejected from your skis. You get ejected from your skis when you crash, usually. Um, and then, like, the more experienced you are, the tight, the tighter you have this ejection mechanism. And so the skis will stay on more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I noticed with Darcy was, like, he was very confident his skis would eject. And so anytime he crashed, he'd literally be shot, like, five to six <laughs> meters through the air. But, like, close to the ground, but just, like, being like, boom, just through the air flying and then just roll. And he would just roll and, so, you know, it would be funny to watch him because he'd have to go collect his skis, which were like <laughs> 10 metres in each different direction up a mountain after that. But he just like gotten so confident in the fact that like, oh, if something happens, these are going to pop off and I can just like slide down the mountain. It's not going to be a big deal. Mm. It's interesting that you say that, you know, the whole bracing yourself for a fall actually can cause more damage because... The one time I fell and didn't realize I was going to fall, like the I was coming down that freaking that gully, that was really slalom gully or whatever mm-hmm. it was. It was quite intense for a beginner, and um, I didn't realize what this girl on a snowball behind me was like headed straight for me, and she just collided into the back of me, mm. and just all of a sudden I was on the ground. Yeah, but I was not. I like I fell on top of her and like and on the ice as well and, and her I, ski was in like a weird position as well was it yeah I think it was a board oh okay but it yeah it was like she was pretty much practically under half my body <laughs> but I was not hurt at all all I felt was my bone hit something whether that was her bone or the ice but yeah. it didn't hurt me because yeah. I was like I wasn't expecting it I was so relaxed so yeah it's interesting that you say that. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely something to it. And like, I only really had one one stack where I hurt myself over the weekend. And it was the very last, second last trip we did down the the easy ride mountain on a completely different mountain. And we just went there to help like the girls. And I was just going so, so slowly because I was trying to like help Ashley. And I was also like just mucking around with um, going down the mountain the opposite. other direction um so like opposite footed 
and I could kind of do it, but when, when doing it kind of slowly and also trying to watch up the mountain, I kind of like, I cut into the mountain just wrong and it, th- it threw me, threw me onto the ground. And that was one of those moments where I, I like was kind of just thrown, being thrown upwards against the mountain and there was no way I could really roll into it. So I had to like kind of catch my, my upper body before my face, pl- face planted into the ground. And it was like ice, like this mountain was so hard. And yeah, I hurt my, like both my wrists slightly. And I was like, God damn it. And I was like, at that point, I'd been so good over the whole trip. This is the last thing we're doing on the trip. One of the last trips down the whole mountain for the whole trip. And I was kind of like pissed off at myself that I was like, oh, I hope I didn't like have any lingering for basketball after this. Because that was my one mission. It was like, don't hurt yourself so you can keep playing sport when you get back. Um, But I was fine mm-hmm. and got up, but yeah, I, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting how like even, even that if you had kept it so too strongly in your mind that you don't want to hurt yourself for basketball, you could have had the same, you could have been become more injured because you were, could have braced yourself. Like, I, I feel like that's like a, a natural mechanism that we have when we're like self-preservation, when we want to protect ourselves it's one of those things, but there's a lot of, in my mind, there's a lot of metaphors, everything that we've just spoken about. There's so many metaphors for life in that or for endeavors that you take and Mm. like, you know, falling is inevitable. You're going to fall. So just accept it. Like falling is going to hurt. What was the one that you said? Like rolling with the fall, like going Mm. with the flow. Like if you're going, if you're falling, you have to allow yourself to fall with it yeah. and eventually it's it's all going to be okay yeah. but it doesn't feel like that in the moment like when yeah. I when I fell and was hurting myself consistently I was like I'm never going to not hurt myself I'm always going to fall I'm not going to get the hang of this and that's you have to just step out of your mind and accept it I suppose yeah no that's that's 100% true really good analogy there and I think that's why people should try and do hard things you know what I mean that's why I love sports so much um, is because of the the life lessons you get to learn in a microchasm um, rather than ha- like life is inevitably going to throw hard things at you mm. and you might as well learn how to deal with hard things in those small controlled environments where you are the master of your destiny in some sense and then you can you can learn to deal with failure mm-hmm. and when the big failures happen you'll be able to take action or at least feel like you can take action in the right way. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose even to the idea of when you have a, a big goal, which is I want to enjoy snowboarding, right, <laughs> for example, yeah. or it could be I want to have this career mm. or I want to have a successful, healthy relationship. Mm. On the whole, it seems exciting. Mm. And on the whole, it also seems daunting and overwhelming. And mm. if one small step that you make towards that goal, you fail, it feels so hard. And it's almost like you don't, you don't just don't want to do it anymore. But when you break it down, like we did with snowboarding, when you break it down into the smaller steps, into the steps that work for you, or you work, break it down into smaller goals, and then you hit those goals and you celebrate them, you're like, yes, I can actually do this yeah. in little steps. But sometimes just focusing on the big picture and not allowing yourself to take those tiny steps can can hinder your progress especially if you're you're mentally not ready for it 
Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of have this perspective now in life and some of it's a little bit of arrogance and I'm aware of that, but I feel like I could do almost any job you could throw at me um, because I understand there's no difference between me and the other person who's already doing that job. Mm. It's just the matter. Like there might be some slight physical differences. Like I couldn't be LeBron James, obviously, but... Um, LeBron's already taken. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's it's just an all uh, a matter of how much you're willing to put in the work and how much time you're, you're going to sink into something. Um, but you can literally achieve anything if you make that your thing. But mm-hmm. it, the hard part is finding your thing. Um, like don't waste your life doing something that you really don't enjoy just because you want a paycheck that mm. will sustain your materialistic views or it's sticking in a relationship that you don't actually enjoy but because it will bring you closer to having that that married life that that you know closer to having a family yeah like people get married to the idea rather than how it makes them feel or the person um and like i definitely don't have that 100% right either i constantly grapple with um, whether I want to do the job I'm doing or whether I want to try something different or whatever it might be. Like, whether you want to be with your wife. No, <laughs> <just kidding>. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Only when she leaves all the dishes out. That's his salt point, guys. <laughs> but I know that, so. <laughs> I married you knowing that that was your salt point. You married me knowing the dishes would be done. Yeah. <laughs> they have to be done in a certain order. <laughs> and I would take care of most of them. Hang on. Hang uh, on. I'm gonna... There's definitely more analogies to everything that we spoke about. Um, and I think we hit a lot of them on the head. I think you, you can take from it what you want and, and what feels right for you. But even just the idea that, like, you can give things meaning. You know, when people say, like, it's not that deep. Well, it's like maybe it's not, but maybe it is. Like if you make it deep and you give it meaning and that's what gets you up again, then do it. What was what was the movie we watched last night? What can you describe it to me? It was with Mark Ruffalo and Oh, the just one, like heaven. Just like heaven and the um the like kind of nerdy guy who ran the like the bookstore for psychics and he had that he said that line. What was that line? And he, he stole a line off a movie, but the way he said it was so gold. And he was, it was just simple. It was like that, um, now you're asking the right question. He stole it from iRobot. Oh. You know, like when, in iRobot where he's got the little com link with his, uh, is it step, like an uh, adopted father kind of scenario in that movie because he repaired his arm? I don't remember. The doctor in iRobot who he's trying to solve the mystery of why he died. Mm. The reason why Will Smith cares so much about him is because the guy repaired his his arm. Right. And so, like, there's, like, this fatherly connection between them. But the machine can only answer a certain amount of questions. And then anytime Will Smith asks a question that it can't answer, it'll just say, I can't answer that question. But it knows there's one particular question that Will Smith has to ask. And when he does ask it, the machine then goes, that's the right question. 
Right. Right. And mm-hmm. but like it was just like a perspective of how he was looking at the question. And that popped up in that movie as well. And I wasn't sure because I was like, when did they come out? But I think iRobot came out like before maybe, that. Yeah, like 2000, maybe. Yeah. God, that movie's good. I'd love to watch that. I'll again. watch that again with you. <laughs> totally. Because I don't remember anything that you're talking about. Oh, really? I just remember. Bad robots, one good robot. <laughs> Will Smith action. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's like it definitely movie. talks to, like, um, even the overreaching of governmental control, but like mm. from like a, a robot perspective. Mm. Um, but like we're moving into artificial intelligence and it having more of a role in of our lives now. So. Who knows what could happen in the future? But it's also like the whole Americanized thing where it's like the people uprise against the robots and they're all at arms and they have machine guns and stuff. And it's like, yeah, Second Amendment rights. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. America. America. Guns. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I laugh at it, but I, I oddly think I would support Second Amendment rights if I lived there. Like, you can't have arms here. But it's not that hard to get a gun license. But I guess having, like, concealed carry is the thing that Americans really are loving. You know what I mean? Like, being able to carry a gun on you. Australians also forget that their granddads or their great-granddads or even their dads were, like, really upset when their guns got taken away. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, they weren't just like, oh, yeah, let's hand in our guns. I'm so happy about this. Yeah, they they were devastated. How many of them do you reckon, like, hid one or two? Oh, for sure. Surely. For sure. We're not handing them all back. How do you get them all back? Like, they act like it was a really easy task, the way, like, the government tells us they're like oh yeah we just asked for everyone to give them back they actually paid them i think for their guns right um well that's that's better yeah it's nice in a sense but also it's like well like i understand the american perspective of like well now we have all the guns you have no guns if you all of a sudden don't enjoy our or the government becomes tyrannical like north korea or something like Mm. that then no one has any guns to be like hey guys we probably shouldn't have given them all the things protecting us do you know what the worst part is and it's it's the irony of it is crazy is that america is supposed to be the land of the free Mm. and freedom includes to me everyone being allowed to have certain things Mm. And yes, freedom is also being able to go to school and not worry about being shot. Yes, that just means that there needs to be a better system in place. But I was trying to think of an analogy where, like, if someone took away something from us, would, like, I can't even... I was going to say a car. Like, I heard... Imagine I... them taking away our cars. Mm. Because because of the amount of cars that were killing people. Like, if oh, cars yeah. were the number one death, right? Which they're high. They're super Th- they high. They are super high. Imagine, Probably way higher Imagine than if guns. they were like, okay, anyone with petrol cars, we're going to take your cars away. We'll give you some money, but we have to take your car. Would you just be like, yes, that's totally the right answer? Like, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is, it is an interesting thing. You're like, oh, but my car's a tool to get me to work. And some mm. other guy's like, yeah, my gun's a tool to get me food. Yeah. And then other people will be like, well, there's buses, there's trains. Like- <laughs> <laughs> I live in rural America yeah. where there's no buses and trains. Yeah. like Unless you want to wait two hours. It sounds like a silly analogy because it is a little silly and a little far-fetched compared to guns. But no matter what side you're on, you can find pros and cons. Oh, 100%. Like, are you more about freedom or are you more about control? That's what the actual answer question comes down to. And, like, you're crazy if you're going control, in my opinion. Like, mm. 
Because there's no, like, once you start leaning towards control, there's no end to it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the whole reason why every other country other than a few are so intensely, like, corrupt. Mm. And yes, we also have corruption issues. And the corruption issues comes from people trying to take too much control over things. Mm -hmm. And, like, the way the way that like they've thought out the constitution and like those those people come from a time where they literally just fought for their independence tooth and nail and they've written a constitution so that can't really happen again and so they're literally writing it in mind with the 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 foresight of ensuring that another government can't do that to them again and they can't have their freedoms taken away, which I think is such a cool, noble cause. Yeah. I wish I, like, knew more about Australian law, but I well, can almost considering... bet it's very close to, uh, you know, the laws we had given to us from our monarchy, Yeah, the well, queen. I was going to say, you know considering our country is built of convicts and invaders, then I'm not sure our law is as beautiful as what you, the Constitution. You never know. Like, maybe some really bright guys who stole some bread were, like, had some really good ideas. Yeah, maybe they were like Robin Hood. Yeah, I doubt it, but, but yeah, hopefully. Yeah, I, I, I highly doubt it. <laughs> yeah, no, but, yeah, Second Amendment rights... Would not be mad if uh, if that changed. The problem is, is like, school shootings do suck. Like, obviously, mm, like, I love the fact that I live in a country where that isn't something I have to think about when I go to school and teach. Mm. On the other hand of things, like, why are people, like, so, so, so sad and sick in society that they even, like, have the th- thought to do that? Like, that's that's the craziest thing. Mm. something that came up when we were just talking about that was you know the idea of control Mm. and it comes from you know people always like you know corruption and control comes from power Mm -hmm. but it also comes from fear yeah they kind of go hand in hand in some ways so like the the fear what even i don't even understand what the the fear could be when when you start to see control as fear like control is a byproduct of fear then you start to not have just compassion but you start to see everybody who's in power you stop seeing them as this evil person and you start seeing them as human that's what happens for me anyway Mm, uh, I'm not sure what you're really getting at there. I I can see how, like, usually fear is a tool to separate the othering. Um, Well, I'm not saying it's fear is the tool. I'm saying fear is what the underlying feeling is. Like, especially, let's, like, say you're in a conservative government and then all these progressive ideas start coming through and start actioning well, you're going to want to tighten control because you fear, perhaps you fear change or you fear these new things or you, like, whatever the the progressive ideas are, Mm. you fear what that change means for you Mm. and means for your family and then for your country. And so you'll try and tighten control wherever you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess it can go both ways. It's not necessarily... To me, it's not necessarily an evil. It can be 
used in evil ways mm. for sure. Like, you know, Hitler-esque, but... I think um a really, really good analogy I heard the other day on Joe Rogan, which I absolutely loved. He was like, um, try and take something away from someone when there's only three or four people living on the earth. Like, we all have guns. And then one guy's like, I don't think you guys should have guns anymore. I'll have the guns. Mm. That'll never work when you have like a really small, tight-knit group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you when just you just kill the guy with the gun <laughs> and take him. If you could get close to him, that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, like, as soon as you blow that up into, like, millions and billions of people, all of a sudden people think it's okay to oppress others or take, like, their choice away for certain things. And, I, like, it's just so funny. And I actually wrote that down as one of my um, points. points I wanted to talk about today. Because um, we recently had some people come over our house and um, they are doing this project where they're building community-based living um, and essentially just living off the land and cutting all ties as much as possible with any kind of, I guess, like governmental control that they could possibly have and just living with, you know, off tank water, solar power, growing their own food, farming their own animal animals. And it's just such an awesome, awesome idea. And like to me, when I hear that, like it, it sounds like the craziest hippie thing as well, but it also just like there's some attraction to that. I don't mm. know what it is. Like I could sit on YouTube and watch videos about those kinds of people I love it. for so long. And I'm just like, whoa, like it seems like, a kind of living although hard would also be so fulfilling because like we were made to actually try and survive like evolutionary wise like we're 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 survivalists that's what we do we come up with engineering ways to solve problems and we just keep surviving and when you're in the act of surviving you don't necessarily have all these thoughts that cloud your mind that society comes along and brings with it Mm. and so i think there's like a sense of peace in living like that and that's to me the whole reason why so many white people were going back to live with native american indians when the whole settler kind of thing was happening in america um and you weren't really seeing the native american indians going the other direction it was Mm. always like white people converting over to their lifestyle living because in so many ways it was in somehow more fulfilling whether that was spiritual or social or everything but like in yeah in in many ways but it's sorry it's interesting you made a point before you were like you know you you have to ask the question why are people so like mentally struggling and mm -hmm. to me that is one of the answers one of the many answers is that you know living the way that we do in this new way has created new kinds of stresses that we aren't adapt to dealing with or like mm-hmm. stresses that aren't shouldn't actually be stresses in the grand scheme of life and so when you i believe although i haven't experienced it when you do go back and live that kind of way not only is it more fulfilling but the the stresses that you deal with You're are like bio, different. more biologically sound towards that kind of living. Yeah. In a sense, like even though we've got better healthcare and all those things we have right now, like your body in some sense responds to living like that mm. far more fruitfully. Like you're going to be getting all the exercise you need, all the sun you need, all the water you need, 
and your body's just gonna like live like I think like I can't remember where I heard this 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 story, but um there was like this like some Native American men, um Indian men, they were like seventy and still running like kilometers and kilometers a day. Like just because they were nomadic, they would always like shift to different places. Mm. And they were just like super, super fit guys still well into their elderly age. And then they would just die, mm. which to me sounds epic. Like mm. I would much rather be super, super, super able until my late life. Like, of course, I'm sure there's accidents that happen. Someone breaks a leg and then mm. all of a sudden you're, I don't know, carried hopefully by your tribe and not rocked Abandoned. in the head. Yeah. <laughs> It's better for you. We're just going to stone you. Oh my God. <laughs> you never know. I don't know. But yeah, they were, like living like that will obviously keep you super fit. But um, then I also kind of thought like the community-based living is so epic, but it's also like another form of socialism in a way or, or communism. Um, and both Communism. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, and so <laughs> that's my exact <laughs> thinking when I say that. Um, but... It's interesting to think about because, like, both of those ideas have not worked on a very large society scale. They just don't. They don't. Mm. They don't scale up well. Like, the idea is really noble, but they don't scale up well. Mm. And the only way we can scale up society so far that we're aware of in an effective manner that doesn't oppress lots and lots of people is through free market capitalism and adopting that kind of view for society that is but if you weren't living in a societal setting and you were living in a tribal setting then you're gonna see this more communistic kind of everyone chips in everyone all of the wealth is spread among the people um and that's when it's gonna work much much more effectively but you have to know each person within your group Mm. and so you reach that dunbar's number which is 150 people once, as soon as you exceed that, you stop caring about certain individuals in the group and then you can other them in your own head. Mm-hmm. And it's just like this thing, like what, humans aren't capable of remembering every single person they've ever met, but we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. And so it's you almost have to have a societal structure to enforce people to not take advantage of people once you grow to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of get like... like Society is effectively just hive mind, right? It's a way of trying to group the collective brain into one train of thought. And the better you can brainwash your people with propaganda or whatever it might be, the better you're going to have a collective mission completed Mm. and you're going to be more prosperous. But you have to have some way of controlling the people. Um, And so... We're, but unfortunately, when we can't sync up like bees and have one one purpose, um, we are all a bunch of individuals in this bigger machine and individuals with their own thoughts and wants and feelings end up getting super, super sad when they have to do all these things that they feel like doesn't really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And because the scaling of it's so big, you can't tell if you're making Any a difference. difference or not. And mm-hmm. so people get super sad. And so... I think that is the crux of why you see people fall through the system and then do horrible, horrible things. Like you just can't capture everyone and not everyone's going to be living a fulfilled life in the structure we have. Yeah, that's my rant on that. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like where you went with that. It, it po- popped into my mind the idea that it, and you actually ended up saying it, is that, you know, on a gr- bigger scale... 
these things don't work because there's so many of us and not enough land. And even the idea of like, you know, I'm trying to sort out problems in my mind as if I am in a tribe and you run out of water or you run out of like animals or something changes in that food chain. Like for survival, you'd want to group up with, with another tribe if they allowed you to, but then you exceed that Dunbar number and then all shit hits the fan and it just beca- it just ends up being like it is now. Yeah, you end up fighting each other mm. over resources because now your resources are dry and the other people on the other side of the creek now have more resources than you and you're starving to death. Mm. And you think that the other people have done some kind of witchcraft curse on mm. your side of the land. And yeah. You, your leader convinces you of this and all of a sudden the people agree and you other them, other them and they're the disease and the corruption and then all of a sudden you're braining each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> it escalated so quickly. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's funny because they're, they're all the same problems just on a different sphere in my mind. Yeah, I think the only way to, like, get around the issue in our society is um, is to ask yourself, what whatever you're doing right now, is it worth the paycheck you're receiving or could you be doing something that is more fulfilling for you even though it might be taking some kind of sacrifice? Um, and, like, don't be accustomed to the cultural norms and the agreed social behaviours that others put on you in order to fit you into a box of where you should take your life. Um, You know, like you don't have to have the wife and the family and the house and that all sorted to be happy. Like it's just not true. Mm. Like you might... You might be happy being solo and having a really good group of friends and working like a $500 a week job and living communally with like three other of your mates um, mm-hmm. and and just letting that be okay for the time being and, and looking for whatever the other thing is that you want to fulfill your life in while working, maybe like an easy job that can give you time to actually consider these other thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like so many young people get locked into full-time work. And as soon as you get into full-time work, you're committed 90% of your life to this venture that you're not even sure if you're fully invested in. Mm. Whereas if you did casual or part-time work, just paid your bills, had enough to pay your bills, you're going to have all this extra time to give yourself thought about how you want to lead your life and then direct some of your focus into that direction and see if you can actually make it fruitful and and kind of take that entrepreneurial mindset um, and just keep trying stuff. Mm. If if you just keep trying stuff, you're gonna you're gonna find something you can kind of stick at, and you can make money doing just about anything. Particularly if you live in a first world country right now, like you can literally make money doing absolutely anything and everything if you're if you can put your mind to it and be somewhat good at it like you don't even have to be excellent at it you don't have Mm -hmm. to be master you just have to be somewhat good at it and provide a service that people will enjoy Mm -hmm. it's we really do forget how much freedom we have living in a first world country and that we let we let certain things stop us and yes there are certain decisions like if you're making big money decisions and you know then too many big money decisions in a row that aren't actually um you know, working towards anything fruitful or fulfilling or joyous for you, then yeah, it's probably not a great idea. But 
in saying that we do have the freedom to try many things and you know making excuses for ourselves isn't isn't going to lead us to that happy life you know if the life you're living right now isn't enjoyable then like what are you doing to change that like you know living that same doing the exact same thing over and over doesn't you know just for a longer period of time doesn't mean that it's going to change your life there's that I was just thinking of that I think it's an Einstein quote it's like uh doing the same thing over and over is the definition of insanity and expecting change yeah. doing the same thing over and over and expecting change is the definition of insanity yeah yeah and so many people so many people live that nightmare mm. which sucks but um, in the same at the same everybody is doing that it, maybe they're not doing that in their career but um just like emotionally or mindset wise the 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 same you're on the same train of thought you're in that same pattern in that same loop just with something completely different and so sometimes you have to push yourself to get out of that yeah but if you're enjoying it that's okay that's the difference and like life is going to throw you curveballs and that's going to make some shift but if you if your normal pattern that you're enjoying is providing you with enough if it's zest serves. for life then mm. then why why change it but if it's not then you should definitely change it and yeah there will always be things you probably want to change mm-hmm. um yeah now like we got through almost all of my points that i wrote down that i wanted to talk about the like it kind of to bring it full circle the very first point that i didn't mention was um everyone has like a certain barometer of failure um and those around you will have different barometers of failures and they'll they'll project those onto you um so don't fall into others perspective of what failure is allow yourself to dictate your success and just try many things um and like it's good to reach out and get other people's support but at the same time like if it's your idea you're going to have to provide the water to blossom the fruit 100% it comes back to that Theodore Roosevelt quote that I can never remember because it's super long um but it's pretty much about it's it's called the man in the arena and it's it's not about taking advice from people that don't understand what it's like to be in a similar position to you and not taking advice from people who aren't you know in the arena who aren't like scratched up with blood and sweat and dust and tears um or or listening to the guy who just is criticizing you and and hasn't got any yeah at the end of the day if they're spectating they're not playing the same game as you so why bother taking on their their opinions like go Mm -hmm. to the master yeah 100 percent. yeah and on that note the end (laughs) Woo. Thank you so, so much for listening all the way through. If you'd like to support me and or you enjoy the content that I'm putting out, please, please let me know. Leave me a rating on Spotify. You can even DM me if you want particular podcast guests on or you want people back on. I've had a lot of requests for Chaz again. So yes, other than that, I hope you enjoy your day. I hope you took something from this podcast that can help you and I'll see you on the flip side. That's my new outro.